Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, joined as I am every week by media executive Grail Hallett and OTB producer Sam Griswold. Today on OTB, we talk to a U.S. soccer legend. You know what? Uh, Christian Pulisic, Tyler Adams, all the faces of U.S. soccer today. And before them was Landon Donovan, Clint Dempsey, Tab Ramos, Claudia Arena. But this guy came before all of them. I believe, and Grail, you might disagree. I think this is kind of the original U.S. soccer star, uh, the face of American soccer for a long time, a former yeah. member of the legendary New York Cosmos and uh, U.S. men's national team, which he captained for many, many years. Ricky Davis is our guest today. I think he goes by Rick Davis today. I will check in with him on that one. Uh, now, guys, um, Sam, I think you're too remember uh, too young to remember Ricky Davis, but uh, Grail and I remember him because I, first oh, of yeah. all, that, that dude's poster was on my wall, man. And uh, you know, he was the face of American soccer and gave me as a young American player, like, okay, there's there's one of us that's actually getting to play in the league. You know, like because the NSL and, was all foreigners. There were no and, yeah, an American on the Cosmos specifically, which was such an international team. I mean, Rick, Ricky back then stood out like a sore thumb because it was like, who's the American guy? Right. And I tell you, I, I want to talk to him about this because yeah. boy, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. I mean, he got sort of picked out of the pile. He had a great uh, freshman year in college and they picked him to go right to the pros early, which they were trying to do for Americans back then. Very few Americans, actually. Uh, the NASL did not prioritize putting American players on the field. And I will talk to Ricky about that as well, because it's something he battled and um, and actually made a, a couple of decisions that were for the country and for American soccer. And uh, it didn't it wasn't in his own best interests. He could have stayed at the Cosmos and, uh, and he left. So we'll circle back on that story. But I'm telling you, man, that dude's poster was on my wall. Uh, right next to Farrah Fawcett. That is a very, uh, that's what a lovely, space. what a lovely couple. Yeah, I tell you, they would have made great looking kids. And uh, so, um, you know, and, and he played alongside Pele and Naskins and the, the, uh, the Portuguese great Sanino. Kaiser Franz, I believe. I don't think he played with Becca Barry. I think he was gone by then. But Was um, Alberto gone too? No, Carlos Alberto he played with, I think. Okay. So yeah. what an experience. So he played yeah. uh, on the national team for basically 11 years almost. Yeah. and captained many of them. And, you, you know, you think about the national team now, uh, how quickly players are coming in and out of uh, the cycle. There's a lot of competition now. Um, this and you know we, I've talked about the Harks years where they stayed for almost you know two cycles, almost a third cycle. Doesn't happen anymore. This is a young man's game, and uh, good players are coming in and out. In fact, we try to keep up with them all here and over the ball. And it's uh, it's tough to figure out where everybody's playing, who these new guys are, because we're actually producing a lot of good players, but Ricky was there first. So it'll be great to talk to him. Uh, but we also have a lot of other things to cover. Uh, Champions League, Premier League's back. Uh, Syria, ah, we'll check in with that with Sam. And uh, But before we get going, what are we over today on Over the Ball? Sam, what are you over? Yeah, I'm over. I, I don't have a general you know instance that I'm referring to here, but I'm sure you guys have seen this all the time. Just yep. when, when a player comes off the field, subbed off, and they either you know, don't shake the coach's hand, don't give him a fist bump or in some other way, ignore him um, or her, I should say. Uh, I'm just over it being like a huge deal in the media. I mean, it happens all the time. It leads to the same worthless argument, which is you should respect your coach versus you should not want to be taken off the field because it means you're into playing. I mean, it's just, it's, it's over. It's just done. But, it happens. But, but Sam, let's also put the coach's side of it on it too, because a lot of times the coach isn't exactly extending the olive branch, you know. So I think a lot of it depends mm -hmm. on the what's coming from the coach as well. 
sometimes there's a hug and embrace. And a lot of other times the coach is knee deep in tactics and he's just made the sub and he's not really extending the hand either. Sure. So no, you're right. I, you're I, right. I, it can go, it can go both ways, but yeah. my point either is way, it's not, not making it. It's, it's not time, a big deal. Yeah. Well, I think you look uh, that the dynamic has changed certainly over the years where the coach used to be the end all. Uh, and made the decisions. And now the players are so wealthy and so, um, you know, well taken care of They're sort of coddled that, that their lack of a handshake coming off a field makes, makes press. Is he going to leave? Is he whatever? And we know as players, when you come off the field, you're always pissed. Uh, you don't want to come off. And usually at the end of the game, the coach will say something like, Hey man, you know, uh, I needed to get some more speed on the outside and so well, whatever it is. Um, and that usually can sort of, gloss it over a little bit but i think um i, I understand your point you know any player that gets substituted yeah. and he's Doesn't pissed I, I understand it you know i remember last season Mane came off for liverpool and he walked right by klopp and klopp actually went out of his way to grab him and there was like a you know clearly a chill in the air and of course you can imagine what the media did with that but right. it was fine it was like klopp talked to him afterwards and said it was like heat of the moment no big deal we move on well, and also, like, I love that about strikers. They want to score goals, man, yeah. and they get pissed. And that, you know, that front line used to be Firmino um, with Mane and, and um, uh, who am I blanking? Salah? Salah, yeah, the Egyptian. Yeah. So uh, greatest player in the world right yeah, now. Yeah, only the best player in the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, were, they were in a competition within themselves on their own team, and I think that's really healthy. But they're, yeah. you know, remember uh, – they were having like problems like they weren't dishing the ball off to each other in a couple situations and it was sort of a rough ride for a while and i now believe they they sort of realize hey look we're all uh, in this together literally and uh, we're helping each other out so yeah um, and then so, yeah. and there's that decision when somebody's on two goals whether or not you keep him in there so you can try to get the hat trick or you take him off to make sure he doesn't get injured yeah they so, asked mbappe about uh, he gave the penalty kick to messi and they go why'd you give the kick to him he goes because he's the greatest player in the world. <laughs> I love that. That's a great young answer. So yeah. what do you over Grail? So I'm over soccer commentators who's, who use the word fascinating uh, to describe a match that I'm looking at that is incredibly dull and anything but fascinating. I always feel like fascinating is the word that's the default out of, you know, every commentator wants it to be exciting, but it's clearly not exciting so that would just be disingenuous to the viewers. So they come up with fascinating, which to me is the word that really says nothing other than we can't really describe what it is. We just know it's not terribly exciting. Wow. Well, yeah, well, I go off on all of them. You're just going off on a word. I mean, fascinating. I watch I the Champions League Galazzo, Galoza goal uh, show there. Oh, my God. It was annoying as shit. Another <laughs> guy. Another guy speaking Spanglish, and it's like, come on, man, what the fuck, Jesus! It's either a, a, a Spanish accents uh, English broadcast or English accented. Uh, it's just driving me crazy. It's everywhere. It's like we do not have the confidence to just put some of our own broadcasters who know the game in. It's once well, and, and, just and it's Andre Cantor's son. It's like it's like not only it's it, it's broken broken English, but it's sort of the every. It's like, I knew we would somehow get off on, on that tangent, but, no, but it's also a nepotism. But, it's just bullshit. But, man. but no, just back just back to my point. There's nothing wrong with the match being dull and saying it's dull. We can deal mm -hmm. with it. It's okay, commentators. Just call it for what it is. All right, you, well, you get your point in. I got mine. Yeah. In. All right, <laughs> all right, guys. So why don't we talk about this Saudi Arabia takeover of Newcastle? It. I'm surprised it went through. I'm surprised the country 
of England, you know, uh, did not step in and say no. Uh, you know, uh, you know, there's uh, they, they, uh, Saudi Arabians have been through some tough times, and the people who disagree with them have been through some even tougher times, uh, to say the least. So, uh, what what are your thoughts on it, guys? Well, I, I just feel like they rewrote they kind of rewrote their own rules from a year ago where they really where the Premier League expressed serious reservations about human rights, all sorts of things related to Saudi Arabia, the Khashoggi murder, all of that. Yeah, and all of up. those yeah. all of those just miraculously went away when there wasn't a better uh, potential own, new owner. And so they just kind of bent the rules by saying the fund itself is going to be separate from the government and um, MBS will not be involved with the team at all. I just think it, it's it's just folly to think that those two will ever be separated. But yeah, that's, that's my point of view. How about you, Sam? Uh, uh, to me, the saddest thing is just that as a fan, this is kind of your only hope now if you don't support one of the, the super teams, right? I mean, it's either you're going to, sort of just go along for the rest of your existence being in 10th place and maybe getting into the Europa League or you get bought by a, a sovereign you know state fund or something uh, I, I I just think it's crazy I mean all the celebrations that I've read about in Newcastle and everything I mean it's like they they may as well have won the Champions League you know, it's like this, this has become kind of what you root for. I, I don't know. It's very strange so, to me. So, so to that point, Sam, a bunch of supporters showed up in Arab headdress for mm -hmm. the opening match over the weekend, because obviously the new management team was there for that game, which they ended up losing. And then, um, and then Steve Bruce was fired yesterday as, as a result of just I like him too, man. I like yeah. him. You know. In any case, but Sam, I, I get your point. It's almost like there's just been such desperation because the new Newcastle supporter base is amazing and they've been through everything. And now it's like they're just willing to kind of turn a blind eye to anything to just have hope mm -hmm. that all the money they've been wanting for the last 14 years is going to appear and they can just turn everything around. But it's just well, yeah. fraught with trouble. Well, they want to win, yeah. uh, which and what's interesting about the Premier League, which Americans have a tough time sort of digesting is this whole, you know, promotion relegation thing. But, you know, Newcastle is happy when they don't get relegated or if in the middle of the table, which is so foreign to Americans, sort of like you, you got to win the Super Bowl. You got to win the NBA championship, you know, once in a while you got to get in the hunt. And with Premier League soccer, you know, the top teams just are always the top teams. And so this shakes it up a bit. But at what cost, man? I, You know, like you're selling your soul, you're following the money um, and it's a money grab. And, and they're throwing out all their ethics and principles just to have a competitive team that is basically supported by, uh, you know, a dude who dismembered somebody. And I admire Klopp. that's what we know of. Yeah. Jurgen Klopp's been very outspoken and just he's very concerned about the signal it sends because of the mm -hmm. human rights of abuses and again he he actually likened it to the super league in terms of the secrecy element of the decision itself like he felt the other club should have a say and it was really the premier league board that kind of jammed it through so yeah i don't know i i do think there's a little bit of hypocrisy though i mean as i understand it there is quite a lot of saudi money in several sectors of the united kingdom um, sure. And I mean, the owner of Sheffield United, I believe, is a member of the Saudi royal family. So I understand that this is a, you know, this is big. It's in your face. It's impossible to ignore. But 
I, you know, I, there's plenty of other teams that are run by not the most yeah. scrupulous people. If we, I mean, the other thing that's really that. interesting about Newcastle is in spite of the fact that they haven't had a lot of recent success, they're thought of as being a big club just because of the, the fan base and Sir Bobby Robson had been there and Alan Shearer and Kevin Keegan, you know, so they actually have underperformed for their popularity. And again, so it's not like a team, uh, uh, the Saudis coming in and buying Brighton, Brighton mm-hmm. and Hove Albion or something. This is like a big club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I think this is just a continuation, a kind of Sam of what you're saying. Perhaps there's mm-hmm. some hypocrisy here because mm-hmm. uh, you measure certain things. Like before this, you got Chelsea and Russian mm-hmm. money and God knows where that's coming from, right? Mm-hmm. And then before that, people were even complaining about the Glaze, uh, Glazers, you know, where they sort of, yeah. that was just money, money, capitalist money. At least it wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, in some of these other more shady, shadier sort of deals, but it seems like it's going to be the norm because they're taking over all the teams. Yeah. Um, you know, in English soccer, you know, the Premier League struggled a little bit until some of this right. this infusion of money came along. So I guess it's about survival. And boy, you know, we love Newcastle fans. They've been so loyal. They win at that oh, owner. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, you know, they just, it's a great tradition there. And, and um, you know, I feel bad that they're never in the top of the, the table, but... Um, um, the only, the only difference they will, they will be yeah, soon. the only difference with Saudi Arabia is obviously their history mm-hmm. and the stuff that they've done, which is very questionable. And I, you know, some of the other countries don't have that association with doing things, so it does Russia? make it a little bit unique. Russia. Well, no, Ru- Ru- I mean Russia, obviously, but I'm just saying the other Middle Eastern countries don't have that specifically on them in terms of those abuses. These are the uh, these are the options now. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we have to grade all our degradations. Equivocating here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, all right. So, Champions League, guys, check out any games. I saw the uh, the Liverpool game. Interesting. Uh, wow. Uh, Solid boy, man, a machine. But I tell you, uh, Athletic couldn't touch the ball, and then all of a sudden they came back to tie it up. A couple of Griezmann goals. Um, Liverpool. I don't know. I don't think they're going to last. Uh, as well as they play at times defensively, they, they look a little suspect on the counter. And also if Salah wasn't on this tear, I don't know if they'd be putting the ball in the back of the net as much as they are and winning well, games. Yeah. Defensively, they've been better than they were in that match. That was definitely a bad defensive performance for them, but I, it, Nabi but, Keita, but I, I think hurt him there. Yeah. Um, I, I just feel like, you know, with Salah scoring at the rate he is and Firmino had a hat trick over last weekend and, and generally their defense is, pretty solid i just feel like champions league once again it's all marching towards a combination of Bayern, man city liverpool and chelsea i you know not that psg and man united couldn't do something but i think those four teams are already kind of separating themselves as the as the teams to look for in this champions league which is no great surprise uh, I, I only watched uh, Manchester United Atalanta yesterday, which was a, a great game. 3-2 Man United comeback win. Uh, I was, you know. And had to break your heart, Sam. That had to break Atalanta's your heart. is the only team I really care about in Champions League. So uh, that was a tough one. But, yeah, it was a great goal by Ronaldo at the end, as you'd expect, I guess. Hey, Grail, do you notice that Sam uh, doesn't like more teams than he likes? <laughs> So he's what do you what was that? He doesn't uh, like more teams. He dislikes yeah. more teams than he likes. It's yeah. sort no, of like I, he's always got so he's got an edge to him with his rooting. Look, I mean, 
Atalanta being up 2-0 at, you know, at halftime, it was their match. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they could have definitely salted it away. And, and when Rashford scored fairly early on in the second half, I was like, oh, my goodness. But, yeah, again, as you know, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Ronaldo, but I got to give this guy props. I mean, that, that header, if you want to show a kid how to head in a textbook manner, Shaw whips in the cross and Ronaldo just goes up there and hangs for this amount of time that seems like it's 20 seconds and just thumps it into the opposing corner. I mean, just brilliant. Tell a kid how he can jump and hang for 20 seconds. Be like- but, 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 but also the idea of heading back against the grain, the grain against the goalie, down. you know, yeah. and, and heading down. This went like right into the corner in the, you know, the keeper's going one way, the batter goes the other way. I mean, it was just. I, I, I hope it's not a lost art either because that is a hell of a skill uh, yeah. to head a ball. It's, you know, I, I try to tell some people who don't play the game. I said, God, it's like timing a rebound, but instead of getting your hands on it, you got to get your head on it. it you got to yeah. knock it down. You got, it's like, it's, it's so technical and such a good skill. And I think it's something Americans lack, you know, McBride had a, was really good in the air. Uh, Lexi allows pretty good defensively in the air, but yeah, you watch guys who can head about like Ronaldo, man. Oh, he's fantastic. I mean, he's the best, I think he's the best header of the ball of any forward in history. And, but, and it's a huge differentiator between him and Messi. I mean, oh, you yeah, but compare him on a lot of different levels, like heading Ronaldo's got that different game though. And, you know, Messi yeah. pl- plays more of a midfield game too. And I think, um, and if you look at d- uh, different types of heading, yeah, I watch Van Dyke. He rarely struggles clearing a ball because the position he gets mm-hmm. kind of like Maldini, you know, where like he'd always be in the right position. Yeah. But like not look like you're struggling or, or getting bridged by another player because you position yourself ahead of time before the ball actually gets there. So um so good so uh, it was just 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 made for ronaldo it was just one of those moments you know so uh the champions game you're looking we're looking at the regular favorites right Bayern's looking great and and, and sane boy is that turning out i think i think pep is going to rue the day that he let sane go because that guy is a fabulous player yeah he is uh sane i mean look um who let sane go it man was, city uh, man city right so yeah um there's a couple of players that got let go. Um, yeah. You know, Sonny is one of them. I mean, I loved watching that guy play when he was at Man City. It seemed like they didn't need him enough, maybe. And and so you feel like, um, you know, he, he sort of uh, backs away a little bit. Who's the Frenchman for Manchester United? I mean, they could um, use him now. Martial. Yeah. Martial, the same thing. It's like he just doesn't seem like he's used enough. Uh, Memphis Depay didn't do it. I mean, De Bruyne at Chelsea, right? Right. Um, it, you know, didn't get used. So, um, and then Lukaku. So, no, but Sane fits in perfectly with Bayern. And, and again, they're just looking like a powerhouse again. Well, you talk about heading yeah. the ball offensively. Yeah. You see Lewandowski. Yes. Uh, I mean, unbelievable. I mean, just his positioning. I was watching him on how he timed runs in the box. And even when he's stagnant in the box, he's not stagnant. He's, he's either bumping off a player, just bumping with the shoulder to, to sort of create some space. And most of the times the ball doesn't get there, but when it does, he is right there every time. Yeah. It's, it's all those things. I, I, I'm going to mix sports here, but it's almost like that Larry Bird stuff where he's doing something off the ball that no one notices, but right. that, that leads to big plays yeah. uh, over and over. So, uh, and he, and Sonny gave him a nice tap in too. Oh yeah. He put it on his foot. It was, uh, it was beautiful. That, yeah, that team's humming along. I'd say that, uh, they are perhaps the favorites on that. So, um, all right. So let's uh, let's talk. One one man who's uh, missing is uh, continues to be missed, 
is uh, is Christopher Pulisic. Um, yeah, it was, heard, it was. I'm really worried, guys. I, this, I'm not sure. You know, we watched how Josie, who was not even as impactful as Christian Pulisic, uh, how he struggled with injuries over and over. And we waited eight years, nine years, kind of for him to get healthy. Um, but it just hasn't happened for Christian. And we've talked about it on the show before. He's not built solid to the ground like a Messi. Uh, he does take some abuse because he's got that, you know, he, he, he cuts in quick and uh, frustrates defenders, but he takes a lot of hits and his body is just not holding up. Yeah. And the, and the Tuchel quote was, was concerning. I mean, Tuchel clearly has a lot of, uh, you know, compassion for him, what he's going through, but it's, it, it feels like Pulisic is just getting ready to come back. And then something, you know, it's this ankle that he injured against Honduras. Right. And uh, he keeps, you know, he goes through all this, you know, all this rehab and stuff and he's ready to get back to training and then something goes askew and he's set back again. So, I mean, it's going to be, I mean, the one thing which will help him, um, which isn't good for Chelsea is Lukaku and Werner both got injured in yesterday's Champions League game. So there will be a need for him um, up top, but uh, yeah, we'll just have to, he's, he's just got to get fit. Hey, Sam, I meant to ask you about Syria. Ah, uh, some controversy uh, and some games this weekend. Talk about them. Yeah, oh, well, there was one big controversy over the weekend. It was in the uh, Lazio-Inter game. I mean, I, again, we've all seen this before. Uh, a guy gets, you know, chopped down, kind of trying to stop a counterattack. Guy gets taken out. Counterattack continues, right? Inter has a chance to score. Uh, shot on goal, saved by the goalie. Uh, for Lazio, who starts counterattack the other way, Lazio runs right by the guy on the ground, doesn't kick yeah. it out, goes down to the other end and scores. Uh, now, usually the other team doesn't go and score, and there's like a mini conversation about how they should have put sure. the ball out and maybe a little bit of pushing. But in this case, you know, the guy scores. It was a huge goal. Uh, I think it put Lazio up 2-1, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, you know, all hell broke loose. Well, and so I, let me review. Yeah. So on the offensive end, mm -hmm. they go down. A player goes down. They continue yes. to go towards goal with their own player down. Yes, but it was one of those situations where it was kind of behind the play and it wasn't yeah. clear if uh, the guy carrying the ball forward really knew the guy was down. So uh, there were a lot of elements to it. But So don't you think, Sam, the ref should just, I mean, if you want to get control of this, have the ref kind of overrule the whole situation and just basically blow the wind blow it dead or something that way you're not leaving it up to either team to decide the well protocol. that's what that, that's kind of what i was thinking i mean yeah. i understand it's a nice gesture of sportsmanship i think a lot of people really like you know everyone claps even the players clap yeah. it's this great like throwback to whenever but i think more often than not it just leads to controversy and you know fighting yeah. like in this game and i wonder you know in, in hockey the rule is just if your team has the puck and your guy goes down, the whistle's just blown. And if the other team has the puck, it's not blown until you get the I puck. like that. I like that yeah. because, you know, we have guys who flop. Lots of guys flop. It pisses me off. It pisses off the viewer. And then you watch the replay in slow motion. He's holding his shin. Nothing came yeah. close to his shin. And yeah. it's sort of like if, you're, if your team has the ball, it automatically stops. I get it. I get that. I, that I also would tell that it was finished. That would, you know, uh, say don't, don't go down. Don't yeah. go down unless you're really hurt. Yeah, I also think it's a generational thing. I think some players, I just hate to say this, don't understand like certain protocols in sport. You know, certain guys do things in other sports that show people up or whatever, whereas a more seasoned player wouldn't do that. So I think in terms of kicking it out, if you've been around a while, you just know automatically you kick it out. So yeah, but I, I mean, I think the other point is like guys flop. 
And so yes. uh, you don't know if it's a legitimate injury. And then you've always seen that guy who goes down in the box trying to get a penalty yeah. kick. But then his team continues to have the ball. And all of a sudden, he'll jump up. Mirokule, mirokule. And, yeah. and, you know, he, he's suddenly all right. Even though he was trying to get the PK and he was down, he was like, oh, you fell down? And you well, that's why if you, give it to the re- if you give it to the ref, you take it out of the player's hands, and then they can take their beef to the ref. But I think that's a better way of handling it. All right. Yeah. So, uh, all right, let's wrap there. We'll, uh, we'll, uh, I'm looking forward to talking to Ricky Davis. I'm, Grail, I'm sure you have a ton of uh, questions for him. Yes. Sam's going to be silent. I don't know what he's going to talk about with Rick, the great <laughs> Ricky Davis. But, uh, boy, he's a walking bit of living history in American soccer. And, you know, one of the things that I don't like is the people don't remember the Kyle Rowe Juniors, like you said, Grail, uh, before we came on air, or, or Ricky Davis, uh, Mooch Marinick, you know, all these great players. Yeah that really led the way for U.S. soccer. And, you know, we had a scrap as much as anybody, but not as much as those guys. They had it even tougher, and uh, they, they paved the way for us. So uh, gotta, you got to pay deference to them. And one of them is our next guest. It's Ricky Davis. We'll be back on Over the Ball. All right, I am excited about this interview because, folks, soccer people out there, before there was Christian Pulisic and Landon Donovan, Clint Dempsey, Tab Ramos, Claudia Reyna, there was this man. He was the face of U.S. soccer for over a decade, Ricky Davis. Ricky, as he was called back then, a high school All-American, a high school All-American left college at Santa Clara University after one year, then went on to play to the vaunted U, uh, New York Cosmos, uh, as well as the U.S. men's national team for about 10 years, uh, a good portion of which he was captain. And he then went back it, into youth development at AYSO and logged all kinds of hours as a broadcaster with JP Della camera. And I remember some memorable ones um, with the Paul Gardner. I remember some of those things that you would little tete-a-tete you guys would have as well as the LA galaxy. Uh, now he is uh, owns a steakhouse, which uh, love it. I'm going to try to get there when I go to the coaches convention uh, joining us now on over the ball. We haven't talked to him in a long time. He is a former U S soccer. Great. Uh, and a man with a, a hell of a history. We are, uh, we're glad to have him on over the ball. Rick Davis, welcome to OTB. Hey, thanks, guys. Good to be here. Rick, you know, I mean, the changes in U.S. soccer that that I have seen, and I'm a little younger than you, but boy, you know, Pele came to this country, and that's when I sort of was like, what is this game? What's happening? And they plucked this, this young, hot soccer college star and just kind of threw you in the middle of this what was that like I mean they, they talk about land and going overseas and how difficult it was in Germany here you are in your own country you're a young college kid I mean you're a freshman you just finished your freshman year you get thrown into New York City and the New York cosmos it's just off the charts I mean what was that like just just how did they pick you and then how did you d- deal with all that was thrown at you so, so I, I think there's a couple of different ways to tell the story, and mm-hmm. um, I'll, I'll try and keep it short because otherwise that could go on forever. But yeah. uh, it started with a, a kid, that's being myself, who was just really enthusiastic about the game. Uh, that was different for the time uh, because we had baseball, we had football, we had basketball, hockey, I mean, every imaginable other sport. But soccer was really, um, you know, mostly just in the large cities and ethnic communities. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm talking about the mid 60s. Well, I, as a kid who, again, just loved sports, uh, heard about it and thought, well, wow, this is great. Uh, You know, and so uh, it was love at first sight. Um, There were a number of different people that played a role in my evolution or my development, because I I don't think it would have gone, um, you know, the way that it did if I didn't have a first coach who was an Englishman. 
who knew mm-hmm. the game, loved the game, was passionate about the game. And he passed that on to this group of seven and eight year olds. Um, my next coach was a German immigrant. And it was about the disciplines in the game and, uh, you know, and about execution and, uh, and functionality. Again, thinking about development. And then my next coach was an Italian immigrant. Nice. So it was about, yeah, love and passion. So suddenly you start to see all these different people that played roles in helping me not only play the game, but love the game. So mm-hmm. now when you skip forward, so I'm a high school kid. Um, I've, I've had uh, very little contact from the college system. Uh, you know, coaches interested in me going and playing there uh, at their schools. And, uh, and so uh, my, my path seemed to be one that was going to be through the national team uh, because I started with the youth team. Uh, this would have been in 76, mm-hmm. um, 77. And uh, from there went to the Olympics team and then from there to the national team. Well, so 76, so I, how old were you in 76? Um, well, I was born in 58, so I would have been what's 18? Math wise, 17, 18? 18? Yeah, 18. 18, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, again, the with the way that things went, um, there one of the coaches of the youth team was a guy named Ray Claveca. Now, you yeah. might remember Ray remember because Ray. he was the assistant coach with the Cosmos. Mm-hmm. So, ding, 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 there's the first bell connection right. between the youth team to the Cosmos, and so that's how ultimately I ended up there. The story that I like to tell people is, okay, so imagine you're this kid, you love the game, you're passionate about it, your idols are Franz Beckenbauer, Pele, uh, from Italy, Giorgio Canalia. Um, again, those are the names that you associate with, like most kids at the time were thinking about basketball stars or baseball stars. Well, I was looking at soccer stars. Nice. So somebody comes to you and says, okay, we've got an idea. We think that you've got some talent. We've got this pretty good team called the Cosmos, some pretty good players <laughs> that you might know. Would you like to get paid and come play with us? <laughs> and it's like, what are you kidding me? Yeah, uh, what's what's the question? <laughs> exactly. So um, I, uh, you know, my parents were uh, very educationally oriented people. Dad was a doctor, mom was a nurse. And so when I said to them, I said, hey, you know, mom, dad, I, I, I'd really like to play soccer. I remember my dad looked at my mom, her name was Marty, and he said, Marty, where did we go wrong? He said, what, what did we do that made this kid not want to, uh, you know, go the normal path? Should have bought him a stethoscope. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So uh, anyway, I, uh, you know, had a long conversation with them. And uh, ultimately, uh, you know, they understood my, my passion and enthusiasm. And so uh, it was then, what, October um, of, uh, what would that have been, 77? that uh, I signed with the Cosmos and, uh, you know, had a press conference. Two hours later, I was on a plane to Italy. <laughs> and so uh, I spent a- the next, uh, you know, four or five months in Italy uh, training with Milan um, as a developmental kind of a thing. And how was wow. that when you, when you got there? Because, you know, I think you were taken for a lot of reasons. I think you, you had that the All-American looks, you were articulate, you were a hard worker. And they saw that you were a good athlete, and that you that they could they could shape you. So I think they I think they picked you for a lot of categories. So you go over there. Uh, I can see the Cosmo players treating you nice because you're an American, and then we're going to take care of this local kid kind of thing. But in Italy, how did that go over when you started training with them? 
it, it was pretty rough because yeah. our, our, our routine was um, we stayed on uh, on their campus. Um, Milan has a, a training facility about an hour um, outside of uh, the big city, Milan. Um, and um, we actually stayed there with their um, young kids, kids that, uh, you know, that they were developing for hopefully spots in, you know, in the first team or, you know, potentially with other teams. And, and it was tough because um, there it was all about um, competing for, uh, you know, a spot. And uh, it was very clear that uh, obviously the first team was the one that everybody wanted. Um, and, uh, you know, and then there was a, you know, a reserve team that uh, also played, uh, you know, regularly. But, uh, you know, that's not where, you know, people necessarily aspired to. Uh, but not, notwithstanding that is that it, it was tough. And, and yeah. you know, they sort of looked at me and said, you know, why on earth do we have this American kid um, here when, you know, he's with another team? And, and I'm pretty confident there was never any intent for, for me to ever play with Milan. Mm -hmm. It was just a training experience. And, right. uh, and I, I believe, uh, you know, Giorgio Canaglia and, Another name you might remember, Eddie Fermani, who both mm -hmm, had sure. roots there, um, I think were the ones that had facilitated the opportunity. And so, you know, for me, it was like, wow, this is great because I get up in the morning, I train with the first team from uh, nine to about 11, 12 o'clock, have lunch, uh, afternoon, uh, you know, would train with the kids that, uh, you know, came home from school about one o'clock, two o'clock. Uh, and then in the evening would, uh, you know, uh, on the training center, uh, play around with guys and you know we just played games small sided games or whatever so i was you know literally that's, that's a dream come true game. yeah, yeah, living yeah. The game, you know 24 hours a day but i just say you know having you know played you know professionally in the tryouts and the duffel bag and and you know coming into a new town i just couldn't imagine uh, a young young person like that i mean you even talked about how landon donovan had a tough time when he went to germany it's it's a lot to take in but obviously it stuck you started to um, improve, I would imagine, and you saw the game. And then so so then you come back to New York because some here along the line, somewhere along the line, I buy your poster and put it up on my wall right next to Farrah Fawcett. You were in a that was a pretty, <laughs> was a pretty that was a pretty important wall. That's so right, um, so so you trained there for a while. I'm sure it it really opened your eyes to the game itself. Um well, it, it really did. And I remember when I, I you know, joined the Cosmos um, and my attitude was all about learning. Um, yeah. I had no, no, um, you know, thought that, uh, you know, that I was there because, uh, you know, I was going to be a star or was going to, you know, be an important player on the team or whatever. I looked at it as, uh, you know, I have a, a shot at something yep. and I've got a bunch of people who are interested in me doing well because, I think that's where, at the time, the you know the North American Soccer League rules had a mandate that uh, it was three North American players, um, you know, had to be on the roster at any given time. Yeah, and most of them, Rick, weren't born here either. So exactly, it was sort of like yeah, you know, exactly. to be to be a, a, a born American, it was like almost impossible. You know, oh, it yeah. really was. Well, it was, and so that that facilitated the opportunity to uh, you know to be there. I think. And uh, I think, you know, Ray Klebeck and Eddie Fermani, Eddie actually had scouted the youth team when we were down in Florida because he actually at the time was with Tampa Bay. And uh, during that, uh, that, that uh, off season, he went from Tampa to, uh, to the Cosmos. And, uh, and again, I ended up, they ended up there.
You know, and what's funny about the days, because, you know, Grail used to go to the Cosmos games. We also, that was quite a happening. So here you are, a young kid. Now you've gone to Italy. You're like a, you're like a model. You know, they, they fly to Milan and, and then uh, you come back to New York City. Um, did you live in Jersey or Westchester or did you stay away from the big city or what? how did you handle that? A uh, short answer would be yes. I actually lived in a number of different places. Started out in Jersey, ended up moving out to Long Island for a while. Um, you know, tried the city, which that lasted about two weeks. That was just too much for me. Um, and, takes a while. Uh, takes a while. Yeah, exactly. But ultimately settled in New Jersey. Yeah, a lot of the a lot of the players were there. So you show up. What's interesting about your career is you, you started. You were you were in the midfield uh, with these great Cosmos teams, and most of the young American people didn't know who Carlos Alberto was. They didn't know who Sanino was. They didn't know who Naskin was, yet they knew who Ricky Davis was. So uh, it, it, that that must have been very interesting. And probably they sent you on all the personal appearances. So you had that responsibility as well. Well, they did. And uh, and also I was eager to do that sort of thing. Whereas, you know, Franz or, you know, Giorgio or Bogey or, you know, Johan, <laughs> <laughs> they wanted no part of that. You know, they're like, you know, go and do something for seven up for what? <laughs> and, right. uh, you know, army college fund. And, uh, you know, we get a bunch of the different sponsors that were around at the time. And, uh, and again, just people, it was even like at the soccer camp level, um, you know, they're like, Hey, you know, would you come out? And as long as it didn't interfere with training and I, I ate it up, I probably did, uh, and actually, my first year, I think I, I at one point took a look at it. I made more money doing appearances than I did playing out on the field. Well, you know, and I think for young soccer players, especially Americans, we felt like we were Pied Pipers to this game. We, we were treated like we were in a cult and we always wanted to spread the word. And so we were always out there, you know, trying to do it because I actually worked for the Cosmos soccer camp for, for years and uh, at Manhattanville College there. And it was a wonderful opportunity because they, they would pull me off the sidelines to play in the scrimmages. You know, they, you know, so I'm playing with these, with these great players. But I watched uh, a bunch of kids come up and how certain players would react to the kids asking for autographs. And you bring up Bogey, who's classic little kid. He's smoking a cigarette. You remember he was wearing the black sweatpants, long black sweatpants in training, smoking a cigarette as soon as the, the training stopped. And little kid comes running over and goes, but Bogey, Bogey, can I get your autograph? He goes, Get the fuck away from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it's like it. Bogey. I, yeah. yeah, funny bogey story is when he first joined the team, we had a press conference and you know everybody had heard about this great you know player coming from Yugoslavia and whatnot, yeah. and, and and nobody could find him. Well, he was in street clothes walking around, you know, smoking and uh, you know, just kind of <laughs> checking everything out. Nobody knew knew even what he looked like. And so uh, you know, the press conference and all that started about an hour late and still. He decided it was ready to go. Oh, uh, God, you know, he didn't look like a player, but boy, what a player he was. So uh, talent like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. Grail? Rick, uh, it's great having you on. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so just uh, you mentioned kind of that melting pot of humanity at the Cosmos. I'm just curious, out of all those guys, who, which teammates had the greatest impact on you as a player? Who kind of took you under their wing and helped kind of guide you through this amazing experience you were going through so you, you, you know there, there were a number of different players um for me though um and i'll i'll, I'll summarize it franz was the one that took me under his wing he was oh. the one that if, if you know people were to look at old videos or you know dvds or whatever of games 
um, you'll see a, a pretty steady dialogue going on between him and I. And literally during games, 75,000 people in the stands and he's telling me and giving me instructions about, you know, things that I did or didn't do or could have done or, you know, how, uh, you know, I, I might have done differently and, and was really a mentor from the get go. And, uh, and I don't, you know, I, I, I look back and sometimes wonder why. Um, mm -hmm. Part of it, I think, was his true desire to see the game succeed in America and, uh, and, you know, and me being a part of that. So Franz was a big part of it, but there, there's almost nothing similar between Franz Beckenbauer's game and Rick Davis's game. He's <laughs> eloquent. Um, you know, he's, you know, got, you know, just finesse and class. Rick's, Rick's a, gun, a grunner. You know, my, my <laughs> role with the Cosmos was, Rick, you see that ball? Go get it. Once you get it, find somebody that's got the same jersey that you have on and you give it, it to them <laughs> as fast as you can. And so the player that I related best to was Johan Naiskens mm -hmm. because Johan was a, a grunter in midfield as well. Right. And, and that was our role. Um, you know, we, we basically were, you know, there to, you know, get the ball. And once we got it to give it to uh, the players that had the talent, uh, you know, with the ball. And that was, you know, easily done since pretty much the nine other players on the field all hit. Well, I mean, having, having Kaiser Franz as kind of your mentor in that dynamic must have been so helpful because in a way it kind of protected you. Very much so. Yeah. Um, and, and, and in a lot of different ways, um, you know, he protected me, I think, um, you know, during the games, you know, when I did make mistakes. Um, but, you know, at the same time, he also used every opportunity um, to, to educate me, to, to help me learn, to help me understand. And, and I mean, with all of these guys, Franz just being, you know, one of the many, um, so there was, it was like a, you know, a, a library of Congress of <laughs> how to play the game. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I had, uh, all these mentors that were there helping and, uh, you know, and kind of pushing me along. Unbelievable. Uh, you know, you actually mentioned one of my assistant coaches in college had played in the NASL, uh, a Jersey boy, Kevin Welsh was his name. Sure. Yeah, played for the Diplomats. Great, great player. But he, he told me when I was going, you know, to my tryouts, he said the same thing you just said was he goes, guys try to come in and they try to impress with their skill. And, you know, I'm going to score all kinds of goals. He goes, get in there, win the ball, get it to the best player on the team, whoever the marquee player is. And he goes, that guy will walk into the coach's office and goes, uh, that guy, Flynn, he gets it. Get him. Get him, get him <laughs> yeah. So the best advice I ever gotten here, it is true. So, but what's great now though, Rick, as I say, you must have seen quite a change in American soccer from the time, uh, you, you know, you were on the national team and boy, you're just, you're climbing a mountain every game you're in. Um, the differences that, you know, now I think what we were on the national team for almost 11 years, right? Yes. Uh-huh. And we're, we were talking about it before you came on a little bit about the depth that the U S national team has. Now we have to try and keep up with all the players that they're developing all the time. Uh, you went through two, three cycles, uh, world cup cycles. Um, what are your thoughts on, on where it is today? Cause you got involved with AYSO thankfully right after, uh, to help develop. So, you know, what do you think of the players we're developing now? Are, are we the type of players that, uh, were the good, the good players back then? I, I, I think that, first of all, the, the short answer is it's awesome. I, you know, it, it is absolutely fantastic 
with the, the, the growth and the development that we've seen in our players. Uh, the reality, though, of it is that we still have a ways to go. And, uh, and you know, anyone that I think tells you otherwise um, isn't necessarily being realistic because, you know, American mentality is we will conquer everything. Um, right. And, uh, you know, and that was the spirit with which we played back, you know, in my days, because we didn't have necessarily the ability to compete technically or tactically on the field. And so it was our, our enthusiasm. It was our physicality, if you will, or athleticism. That's how we competed. Now we've seen, you know, a generation or two, or maybe even now three, where the dynamic is very different. Um, you know, uh, you, you've got, uh, you know, back in, in my day, that next generation of, uh, you know, Peter Vermees, Tab Ramos, John Harks, that was for me the beginning of it. And that was also, you know, the end of Rick Davis because, you know, it, it became very clear to me that I, I wasn't, you know, raised and developed in that way. And, uh, and it would be very difficult for me to compete with them, um, you know, in that way. And so I, I knew that my time was ending um, and it was, you know, it was the next ones coming along. Well, then, you know, there's the generation after them. It's the Landon Donovans and, uh, you know, and, and, and that whole generation. And so we've now gone, you know, two or three more generations beyond that. And, and you know, you look at the players today and, and what's exciting in some ways is there's a few marquee players, but more exciting for me is on any given game or uh, you know any given camp you've got a variety of new players in there and so the pool itself is is much deeper and much uh, much better yeah. and uh, and that is what tells me that uh, we're heading in the right direction Grail? yeah so rick you wore the captain's armband for the u.s men's national team i'm just wondering out of the crop of players you're seeing now and to kevin's point there is no shortage of them i'm just wondering is there somebody that you've seen that kind of has elevated themselves to being the logical person to be captaining this team? I, I think that part of it, and, and not to overcomplicate it, is I think that, at least in my opinion, and, and ultimately why I believe in, in some respects, <clears throat> excuse me, that, uh, that I was the captain for so many of my years, uh, is, is what the role of the captain is. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the best player. Mm -hmm. uh, doesn't necessarily mean it's the you know the the, the most obstinate player. Um, it, it's there's a whole series of different things that I think you know makes a player sort of captain material. And the example that I use is Pelé was very rarely mm -hmm. in a captain's role. Mm -hmm. um, that wasn't what you know he did best you know he, we all knew what he did best and uh you know and and so um you know it, it's it it takes certain things i believe to to have someone like that um i believe that it starts with respect and if there was anything that was important to me is i always wanted um, people to know and understand what i represented what i you know felt was uh, you know important and in that, I wanted to be as accountable to myself as much as I was wanting other people to be accountable to both me, their teammates, you know, the team, all that kind of stuff. 
And so I, I think that, um, you know, for me, uh, it, it was that that, uh, that enabled, you know, me to, to, to have that role. Um, today, uh, it, it's, it's a tough one, you know, is that uh, there have been a few players um, over the last 10, 12 years that I thought were going to step up a little bit um, or, or, you know, end up becoming that player. But I think that... Um, the game sort of changed around them a little bit as well. And, uh, you know, without wanting to talk in circles, um, I, I think what, what sort of happens is that um, it's, it's a dynamic that's hard to understand when you're, um, you're playing abroad. Um, because when the team gets together, yeah, you could say, well, that's, you know, sort of it. Well, when I, you know, was, was on the team while I was playing in the United States. I was playing, uh, you know, with the team that everybody kind of revered. And so um, I think that in that sense, it made it, uh, you know, it, it a little bit easier. So um, I don't know, give, give me, give me a few minutes to think about, uh, you know, who I think there might be mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, that, that is in that sort of a role today. You know, it's it's interesting because I was coming up behind you, you know, a few years back and there was starting to be a feeling where as an American player coming out of college, you were ill prepared for anything that above that that level playing. So, you know, I make a couple hundred bucks playing in the in the Laza League in Boston or whatever it was, but there was no real chance to get into NASL and there started to become a resentment Um there where you're just like I said even the even the three players that they had to have I think it went down to two or maybe one and then all of a sudden that person wasn't even from here and it was just like impossible to play in your own country and you'd go to a place and you'd you take heat for being an American and people you know and I used to say like one English guy said something to me I'm like dude give us a new sport right now whatever it is that neither of us have played and I will kick your ass up and down a field court or whatever it is man and and I also went to college so we have a different experience here one of the great stories uh, that I admired about you was you had your thing at the cosmos and I don't remember the exact the story but you you kind of took one on the chin for the American player I think you went to team America or uh, did you leave the cosmos you left you left it under your own volition, right? I mean, to, to try and represent, because a bunch of Mooch Marinick and Durgan and all you guys tried to like say, now fuck this, let's let's all play together and let's try to compete and 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 sort of bring out the American player. Uh, tell us a little bit about that story, if I have any of it correct. Yeah. Well, you, you got some of it correct, yeah. but um, the, the, the thing that, uh, you know, that, that happened is one of the things that was always very important to me was the American player. Right. Um, and the development of the game, not just from a player's perspective, but overall. And, and, and it, it didn't take a, you know, a rocket scientist to understand that the, the cosmos and what was going on with that team was a bubble. Um, and, and eventually it was going to pop or eventually you were going to need the rest of the league to kind of catch up to what they were doing um, in order for it to be, to be successful. And so, uh, again, for me, much of, of my perspective on decisions that I made career-wise were based on what is it that, you know, that Rick Davis felt we need for the American player. And so um, I, I didn't have the great opportunities uh, to go play abroad the way that some of our players today have. Um, I was, you know, courted by, uh, you know, second division teams, 
um, lesser leagues in Europe, like uh, Greece or Portugal, um, you know, countries like that that don't have the dominant leagues. Um, and, and, and the decision for me to stay and, and play with the Cosmos and or in the United States was very important to me because I wanted people to look at Rick Davis as an example of the American player, right. not an American player that went abroad, learned how to play better there, and then came back. And, uh, and so um, I, I took very little consideration of ever, uh, of ever playing abroad. So the Cosmos was a big thing for me. And I think it was a big thing for them. Um, when Team America came along or when the league was, was at that stage, uh, we absolutely knew that there needed to be something more for much of the, you know, of, of the country's you know, leading players. College soccer wasn't going to do it for them mm-hmm. and, uh, at that time. And, uh, you know, and the viability of everybody going and playing abroad wasn't, wasn't great. And so um, the concept of, of Team America was a great one um, where, you know, you maybe, you know, got a little bit off target with, with uh, you know, how things played out with Team America is um, we were all set to put the team together and get things going when all of a sudden there was the inclusion now of some foreign players. And it was like, oh, wait a minute now. I thought this was going to be, you know, all, all you know, American players are all players that, uh, you know, right. are citizens. And, uh, and, and specifically, I think what happened was the league recognized that for whatever reason that they needed to include a couple of foreign-based players. Um, and, uh, and, and that really, really struck a chord in, in a bad way with me uh, right. to the point that I then said, you know, developmentally for me, I've got the cosmos to play with. Um, would love to be a part of the Team America thing, but that's if it is truly, uh, you know, dedicated and committed to not just being another franchise in the North American Soccer League, but a team that is really trying to help American players develop. And so I got sideways with Phil Woosnam and and company and uh, decided that it was best for me to stay. And oh man, did I hear from uh, you know a bunch of my buddies? Oh, Mooch and all those guys. I'm sure oh, we're on yeah. you, man. Um, oh, well, Jeff Durgan. In fact, Durgan. Yeah. Day, yeah. Jeff is the the one guy, the one friend that I think I lost in all of that because mm-hmm. he was pissed and he mm-hmm. just could not understand why I you know did what I did and what made it worse, which you know isn't you know because I was so smart, but the team fell apart after a mm-hmm. year. Yeah. And uh, and now all these guys were suddenly, you know, kind of in limbo. And I wasn't. I was still with the Cosmos and still with the, you know, the, the, the team that I've been with. And I think they resented that as well. I understand that decision, though, because there were plenty of opportunities for foreign players here. In fact, many would come over and act like it was a vacation, you know, and just mm-hmm. hang out. And, and, you know, we all had you had more skin in the game. It really was. I remember I was sitting next to Miguel de Lima. When he he read what what was I didn't even know his title was he was uh you know like player he was development goalkeeper coach and player you know and, and yeah and he read something in the post about Durgan you know Durgan had a hot head I said Durgan said something in the post and he, and uh, Miguel made me read it to him and I'm like and it was like you know it was typical Durgan like this yeah. is bullshit and but you know <laughs> and um I remember meeting Durgan when I was you know training with the Olympic team and it was sort of. Uh, uh, we, I told him the story. We laughed and we we had a beer. And then the next day, I was training with those guys, and I I got an elbow in the head from Durgan and Mooch, 
within about a four minute time span. And I'm like, hey guys, go easy on the American player, will you please? Oh my God. Uh, so uh, God, I remember my uh, kind of my my uh, you know parting time with Jeff is um, he was playing with the team up in Seattle after all this had been you know gone its way, and the uh, Olympic slash national team was getting ready for qualification and whatnot, and uh, we played against them. And anyway, during the course of the game, so I'm, you know, it's the first time I've played against Jeff and, you know, probably ever. Yeah. And, and another player on his team, uh, he and I got tangled up in midfield and we, you know, we fell and I got called for a foul, which was fine. We got up and we were fine. Yeah. Jeff comes running from 50 yards away. <laughs> grabs for a reason. By, yeah, grabs me by my throat. <laughs> like I've done something terribly wrong. And I'm just standing there looking at him. Number one thinking, oh shit. <laughs> you know, Jeff's a big, strong guy. Big boy, man. Hey, he's a big farmer. Yeah, I'm not going to come out of this very well. Yeah. But at the other side of it is I'm thinking, what what, what is he pissed off at? And, yeah. and the reality, we both got sent off was the referee's solution to the situation. And, um, you know, I, I, we both ended up going to uh, our HR locker rooms, but they weren't that far apart. And I, I looked at Jeff when we were headed there, I said, what on earth is wrong with you? And, and he's, he basically said, don't you ever forget how you, you know, you, you let us wow. down. And, uh, and as I say, I don't know that I've had a conversation with oh. Jeff since. No, you, you, you didn't. You, uh, you, you know, were an amazing example of what an American player could become if given the opportunity. And I think what I was most impressed with you is that you valued that uh, that opportunity and, and you, you made the most of it. I, um, I don't know. I, I would have been starstruck if I had met you uh, earlier. Because I remember playing in the indoor league and I, I got up uh, defensively on somebody and I looked and it was Steve Moyers and I was like, Oh my God, a Cosmo. I am um, suddenly I'm 13 years old again, 14 going, Whoa. And I couldn't believe how small he was. You yeah. guys, I thought you guys are all much bigger. Durgan was big. So was Mooch. Was a big guy. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but Rick, man, so enjoyed getting caught up with you. You are, uh, you're a living legend in this game. And I tell you, the game is growing, not as fast as we all want it to. And we're not dominating like we would like to, but boy, uh, guys like you and and Kyle Rowe Jr., guys who really took the um, you know took the road early for all of us. Uh, just, uh, just you got to be proud. Your doctor father has to be proud of the man uh, he's uh, he's raised because uh, you gave a lot back to this game, and and we really appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you, and I, and I I hope I still have stuff to give. So uh, we'll keep at it, and we appreciate what you guys are doing as well because yeah. it's all a part of helping the game grow. You do have a lot more to give. You know, I was talking to, we had Billy Gazonis on this uh, show. Do you remember Billy he played at Hartwick? And, sure do, yeah. It's like yeah. these great names from the past. And, um, you know, he didn't stay involved in soccer. He's sort of getting back in it now. But uh, people need to know your stories, the ones that have come before us, um, because you were real trailblazers. And we, we appreciate you being on Over the Ball. And I tell you what, at the Coaches Convention, it's in Kansas City. How far is your steakhouse from there? About three hours, uh, but I'm actually going to be at that convention, so uh, we'll have to hook up there. All right, uh, that sounds good, and uh, maybe Grail will drive out for a steak. Yeah, <laughs> I got to check out the restaurant. What's it called? Rick? What's, what's it called, Rick? It's called Ellsworth, which is the town that we're in. Steakhouse, you know, real, real creative there. So uh, <laughs> that helps. Yeah. Uh, the, the good news is that if you get to Ellsworth, you can't you can't miss it. You know, can't miss the steakhouse. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds good, Rick. Yeah. Ricky Davis, thank you so much for joining us on Over the Ball. We'll talk to you again, my friend. Thank you very much, guys. 
Oh, it's great catching up with Rick Davis. Uh, Rick Davis now was Ricky Davis, but uh, boy, living legend. So good didn't, stuff. Didn't Ricky? Didn't Ricky Schroeder go from Ricky Schroeder the actor to Rick Schroeder? You the have actor, to, I but believe. I mean, yeah. I mean, Rick Davis was what eighteen years old when he went to the yeah, Cosmos. He, was, he went to Milan and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and um, just love his attitude and and what he did. Yeah, I kind of had the story a little screwed up with Team America, but um, yeah, I knew he was trying to do what was best for the for the game. And uh, that only lasted a year over there. But um, that reminds me of the Matt Stone, Trey, what the, the, the movie Team America did <laughs> Team with the puppets, yeah. with the puppets. But no, yeah. I thought that was the whole thing about Beckenbauer was fascinating. And boy, does that elevate my opinion of Beckenbauer? Well, but like, you know, he they, took that took that on. I, I meant to ask was, him this one thing, yeah. too, with uh, Beckenbauer would go through a whole season of playing 5v2 before practice and never went in. He never lost the ball. Um, they just said, you know, his positioning and his touch was was so great. But yes, it says a lot about Beckenbauer. He's a sure. bit of an intellect yeah. and a, you know, and a gentleman and, and yeah, and a teacher and a mentor. And a most sometimes great players aren't like that at all. Well, you know, they're just not there. Well, so. when I said like he's a protector, I, I immediately thought of Giorgio Canale just probably yelling at Ricky Davis for 90 straight minutes. Right, right. The opposite. Yeah, exactly. So, all right, guys. So uh, we didn't talk Premier League at all, but uh, what games are you watching this weekend? Serie A, what do you got coming up, Sam? Yeah, it was a big Sunday in Serie A, Roma Napoli at noon, and then Inter Juve, the Derby d'Italia, uh, the oh. Derby of Italy for yeah. you, Kev, uh, at 2.45. So oh, I was able to going. translate that one, Sam. <laughs> I, I got that one. Sam, Sam, yeah, that was a very good move on your part. Welcome to a American <laughs> soccer show. We bring to you love of country. Great oh. game. And then Man United Liverpool at That's Old Trafford. That's the game Trafford. I'm watching. That's yeah, that should I'm be watching. a good one. I, I, I like Liverpool pretty con- – I'm going to go Liverpool 3-1. That's my prediction in wow. that game. I just, Away, think they're huh? better. I just think they're better. I think they have a style. You they know. are better, but I, I, I swear Klopp's going to have to cover up some holes. And then Naby Keita yeah. had a great goal in uh, Champions League, but boy, he got beat defensively a couple times with, you know. Um, and Mo Salah is back to his form of two years ago. He's oh, just God, like what unstoppable. A, what yeah. a touch. You know what I've noticed? Uh, and I don't know if you've seen this. Salah is sort of centered. When guys mm-hmm. are going forward, they're generally sometimes leaning forward a little bit. Yeah. Messi and Salah both. Keep right zero neutral so they can go back you know it's really interesting to watch i was thinking about it um you know like if you ski to get over your skis it's like you, well you can't stay up on your feet you've got to stay center you know you can't lean back you can't lean forward and, and i just thought like wow that's a it's a great thing to remember when you're training you know going through the cones or, or whatever with your, con, your your control and his technique in tight spaces is just insane fantastic i know yeah. it really is so all right sam so uh, no quiz this week uh, you were really quiet during the Ricky Davis interview, uh, apparently. Well, two old guys talking old to guys. Ricky Davis. <laughs> Who's Ricky Davis? Who's Farrah Fawcett? He doesn't know. Oh, the whole, the the whole show is like it was a Jurassic period show for Sam. I just tried to play soccer to meet Farrah Fawcett. That's what it was. It was all about, really. It's all about yeah. that stuff. So, all right, guys, that's all the time we have on Over the Ball. I'd like to thank uh, former U.S. Men's National Team captain and Cosmos player Ricky Davis uh, for Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett. I'm Kevin Flynn. We'll talk to you next time on OTB. 